Greetings, hello, good day, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining True Hope Cast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. This podcast, True Hope Cast, really takes a deep dive into mental health, many physiological and psychological aspects. This is the show for you if you're looking for motivation, inspiration, knowledge, and solutions. And that's really what we're all about here at True Hope Canada. And True Hope Canada is a mind and body-based supplement company dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. You can learn more about us at truehopecanada.com. Today, I welcome Benoit Kim to the show. Benoit is a US Army veteran. He's pen-educated. He's a former policymaker turned therapist and host of the Discover More podcast. In, 2000, in his 2017 near deployment to the North-South Korea border, he experienced his first major depression and had to acknowledge that perseverance does not always prevail, which catalyzed his venture into the realm of mental health. He worked in the policy sector for a few years, then pivoted recently into the clinical field as an aspirational psychedelic-assisted psychotherapist. Today, we're going to be discussing healing and optimal performance. Enjoy the show. All right, Benoit, welcome to True Hope Cast. Thank you so much for being with me today. How are you? What is going well? Good. Thank you for having me on and being gracious enough to respond to my outreach email and quite a quick short uh, turnaround time. I'm doing really well. I'm always operating and in terms of what's going well in terms of my emotionality, my emotional well-being, because as I get older, especially as a veteran and who have gone through some of the pretty extreme psychophysiological challenges, I understand that to show up well, not for this podcast, but in my interpersonal life and professional productivity sake, I have to make sure the emotional well-being is in the upfront. So all that said, I feel great today. Well, that's fantastic, man. If you take that perspective into every day, you're going to certainly have more positive ones than negative. So that's fantastic. But just as an introduction, why don't you just let us know who you are and what it is that you do, please? Uh, the 40 word bio would be something like uh, my name is Benoit Kim. Thanks for butchering, not butchering my name. I am a veteran with the U.S. Army. I am a pen educated former policymaker who pivoted into the clinical realm as a therapist. I'm also the host of my podcast, Discover More Podcast, which is a show for introspective listeners with growth mindsets. And I just, I'm someone who embodies endless curiosity. And I think nuances really matter. And that's what I'm trying to achieve through podcasting, through conversing with other like-minded folks to bring some more value and talk about the optimal relations between healing and optimal performance day to day. That's really cool. Yeah, we're gonna certainly get into healing, optimal performance and all of that. Um, just reading your bio that you sent over to me, which is really, really, really cool, really interesting. I just just reading it, you were talking about like you you you, fir- you experienced your first kind of like major depression um, when you went on your near deployment like five years ago. And I thought it interesting when you wrote that um, you had to acknowledge that perseverance does not always prevail. And that's interesting because I'm not sure if they like teach you or guide you in regards to how to deal with like deep psychological stuff i mean going into like any type of like warfare is obviously going to be very psychologically challenging but like how did they prepare you or how did you prepare yourself how did you and your like your your other other people the in your deployment like how would you kind of like navigate the idea that okay you're going through a set, of, a set of training circumstances where you're like training, you know, to, to, to go into these situations in like, you know, like real life. And um, 
like how yeah, how would you pre prepare for yourself that psychologically because you can do all the physical stuff right you can be in incredible shape your you know attention your awareness and like all the checkpoints and stuff but like how do you go into that type of scenario and situation which you know is going to be different and challenging and all of those things but with by preparing your psychological state how do you prepare yourself for something like that yeah good question so challenging is an understatement and as you understand simon that it's not just the physiological or the psychological it's always psychophysiological whether that's physical health or mental health and i don't know if you recall the 2017 very high tension tied between the united states and north korea at the time mr trump and kim jong-un they were having this bit of a measuring contest excuse my french but i got a red button no you got a red button and my unit was one of the 12 that were summoned to support the u.s troops stationed at the north and south korean border and I was fairly young at the time in my early 20s. I was raised by this tiger mom who are all about achievements, who didn't really believe in mental health, who really thought grit and discipline and willpower will always prevail, which is not the case, as you may know. So that interrupted my five year, seven year plan. I was supposed to become a diplomat. I'm qualingual. I speak four languages. I spent my years in the three different countries and like three different continents. And that deployment just erupted everything. And for the first time, I realized that, wow, I'm not invincible just because I've never had a challenge that was salient enough, significant enough. That does not mean that I'm not going to have any other challenges. And for the first time, Simon, I had to contemplate my own limited mortality that I may die, not one day, but within the next few months, if I were to get deployed. And thankfully things got better and the situation de-escalated because of the astronomical cost of deployments and the international politics arena. Um, but through that experience, I was uh, diagnosed with major depressions. I just lost everything. I've never stopped working out or meal planning or being disciplined. And that was the first time I just abandoned all my habits and just got into my cocoon of darkness. Wow. I, I mean, it's fascinating that you would not get prepared like by within your trainings to, to, to deal with something like that. And I just find it very interesting that we send young men to war. And there's obviously a couple of reasons for, well, a couple of main reasons for that, that I think that one of them I probably knew. And, and the second has just kind of hit me now is obviously you want, you know, you want young, agile, fit, athletic individuals going into, you know, combat into warfare, right. Rather than sending, you know, 40, 50, 60 year old men. Um, but also like you're sending young individuals who don't have like, too much like life experience because depression can come from many many different ways right you know you can there can be you know and i'd like to think that most people don't go through something really serious in regards to depression maybe until they're like late 20s 30s 40s 50s when like real like life stuff comes up with like work and families and you know real responsibility but it's interesting that we send those young men who maybe have not experienced that type of like psychological challenge yet like on a large scale right like i can't think of anything more stressful than like you know sending a young man into like warfare who does not yet have any real most likely doesn't have any real experience on like what being like super anxious or being super depressed like might be i'm not trying to compare like a warfare state to like um not being able to like not being able to work to provide food for your kids you know like i mean it's relative at the end of the day but it's it's just interesting that we'd send young people out there who don't yet have that experience and to not equip them um to maybe 
deal with some of those inevitable psychological challenges like i mean were you just this rare individual that like was diagnosed with a psychological disorder after this or were there other people in your regiment who also like suffered so before i answer your question simon i want to highlight something that you said that psychological warfare is embedded and manifests through all walks of life whether it's your single mother raising kids trying to think about how to provide the next meals on the table or in my case, an actual warfare. And it's not really about they didn't prepare us, but how could they prepare us? Mm -hmm. It's such a different and unique circumstances where there's no other parallel processes in life could replicate the psychological threatening factors of life or death. And I was diagnosed because I sought help. I went to see a psychologist. A lot of my fellow troops, men and brothers and sisters in arms, they didn't really believe in mental health or the stigma of it. So they didn't really seek help. So I don't really know what other people went through. What I do know is half of us were visibly depressed and we didn't want to part and depart from our life, livelihood to a land of the unknown. And the other half were surprisingly excited because warfare means money. You can, a lot of combat soldiers come back with $50,000 in their bank because nothing is taxed. There's all these combat benefits. So it was a mixed bag. But I would say with the people who had something going on in their life outside of the military life, none of us wanted to go for obvious reasons. Why do you think you asked for help? You told me that you had, you know, you, you, were, you were brought up in a very strict and kind of like disciplined fashion. And you said before, like before you, you, your major depression, you, you know, you wouldn't miss a workout, you, you, your nutrition, your meal plans would be on point. So it's, it's interesting that you decided to seek out help rather than a lot of other people who decided maybe that 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 talking about your mental health is maybe a sign of weakness and obviously with the, the training that goes through the military it's you know it's kind of like what about strength and you know being first and kind of all of that like being vulnerable i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily connect with like being you know being in the army or being in the navy or something like that so like that's it's, it's just interesting that you decided to seek for help because it's obviously the smartest thing you could have done but why did why do you think you chose that path i wish i had a glossy flowerly answers to you simon but if i were to retrace my steps back then i don't think it was really me because when this darkness is ever consuming when you feel no pleasant you lose your appetite apathy lack of motivations since depression is a cluster of symptoms since i'm a clinical therapist uh i don't think i sought help i think it was either my god my faith the grace of god sort of had this intuitive whisper saying that benoit all your families and I had amazing family support and social support. But, and you know, when you're in that dark space, you don't hear anything. It's not because you don't care, but because you just can't receive those feedback, uh, well-intended or not. Before some reason I knew after about two weeks of not doing anything, I was just bedridden. Didn't want to shower. My hair looked like a bird's nest, you know, a very uh, um, significant odor. I'm sure I just had this intuitive whisper saying that Benoit seek help seek help otherwise this darkness may never go away so i did well good for you and just back to like the deployment at a young age and the fact that you were having to think about death and mortality and your role in this world and the you know the quite in my opinion like limited time we have on this world you can you know a lot of people can take that as like a negative and kind of be really worried about that or you can certainly embrace that to be a positive to kind of like make every moment every 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 day count and thinking about I personally, just for me, I don't think I've ever had to think about like me dying mm. until I had young kids, actually until I got married. So like when I was about 30 years of age, when I got married, that's when I really started thinking about 
um my death impacting somebody else that i like really really care about and obviously care about my family but like you know my my wife and then my young kids it's just a completely different ball game and i never really thought about the impact of my death on on somebody else and that was that was more scary than the idea of like me just dying for me when i mean that doesn't really that doesn't really happen anyway it's obviously going to impact somebody along the way but having to think about like your own mortality uh, and your place in the world at such a young age when so much you've yet to discover so much about who you are and what your role is in the world and your connectivity to you know other other types of circles that's just an interesting place to be and probably a scary place to be especially at such at such a young age and in such a brutal environment so I'd, yeah that, that's that's just amazing that you're able to actually like recognize like where you were and quite conscious about the different states that you're in before and after and i'm sure it's just like a remarkable contrast because how could they possibly um put your mind and body in a non-training in a real life environment that's in the training environment right like how could they possibly do that without like i don't know tor torturous training regimes and i don't know the implementation of maybe vr or something i'm not sure anyway um <laughs> but what did your um what was your when you asked when you asked for help who did you ask for help for and how did that what did that look like i went to the commander in my military first and then i was in a full-time grad school at university of pennsylvania pursuing my degrees in policy making which is why i became a policymaker after the fact and they just told me hey here are some of the resources there are some therapists in your neighborhood we have one at school if you wanted to attend to and that's how i started at the same time, I do want to emphasize this. I was a skeptic at the time. I do think there's a difference between being a healthy skeptic and contrarian, right? Contracting something for the sake of. And I think we have a salient example in the pandemic recently. And I was very skeptical because I'm all about evidence, evidence, evidence. That's why I'm a social scientist by trait. Um, but obviously through the experience, I realized the darkness sort of faded over time. So I knew it worked. And of course, that was a catalyst for me to become a therapist six years later as a full circle. What type of therapy, um, what did you find work for you? Did you, did you try alternate, did you try different types? Did you fall into kind of the right one that worked for you right away? Cause there's obviously different types of therapy. And I, and I wonder if the ones that you're recommended by your school or by your commander were specific types for like military types of individuals. Cause there's obviously a certain type of person that goes into the military and maybe there's a certain type of therapy that, that, that supports those types of people. What do you think? So not so much from the commander's side. It was more of a general reference. Like, hey, I've heard good things about X, Y, and Z. Check them out. From the school, I got really lucky because you may relate that therapies or psychotherapy is it's a buffet. There's many different flavors. There's many different orientations and approaches. I got exceptionally lucky. The first flavor I tried happens to be the flavor I really identified. And resonated with so i sort of stuck with that and to tie this into what you said earlier that the mind body paradigm which is your supplements true hope all that i think the western culture is very big on hyper independence you should do something for the sake of your own optimal being you should do something so that you can show up better and of course we all know the empty cup analogy and that's very cliches at the same time i think like you say you're a father you're a partner to your wife Sometimes I think we can do something for the sake of others, for the sake of something that's bigger than who we are. And that's sort of the lens I kind of uh, look through that I wanted to show up to myself so that I can get rid of this darkness or move through the darkness 
at the same time, it was bringing a lot of emotional pain for my family, my parents, my sister, who have never seen me at this utter despair moments. They've never seen me not shower for days on end, never go to the gym, not wanting to eat out. So I think all those combinations allow me to really create a buy-in for myself to seek out the flavor. And that flavor of therapy, I tried, happened to be very aligned with what I was seeking at the time. Do you think um, having the availability or maybe even making it some kind of like mandate for um, military personnel to go through therapy as part of their training to be able to, you know, before they even go and before they have a, because what we think, you know, we ideally think like what the normal situation would be is something happens in your life that's traumatic and then you go and get therapy to fix it up, right? Um, sometimes, I mean, in your case, that worked wonderfully well, but like, I just, I just imagine like, what if there was, you know, some, some pre-preparation in regards to like, you know, you're going to have, you go over there, you're going to have some depressive thoughts. You can have anxious thoughts. You're going to have all these like things that you've never experienced in a way that, you know, your mind and your body be that thoughts and emotions is going to be like all over the map. Like, so maybe there could be, I mean, there clearly is like some some pre-prepared training that your mind and your body could go through in regards to like working with a psychotherapist or a therapist or a psychologist. I'm not sure what that would look like, but do you think that the, 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 the cadets and military people could, could benefit by doing that beforehand, you know, before the trauma and then the, like the, the therapy? Yeah. Great question. And the word mandate uh, Americans are allergic to that word Sorry, and anything yeah. that's mandated to the military, they're like, no, my freedom, okay. you know, so not going to work out realistically. But personally, I think yes, because proactivity always trumps reactivity, period. Mm -hmm. There's no but that's a full sentence. That's why mind body paradigm is important. And when you do certain things, either it's through small habits that compound over time, which create this high yield in whatever domains you deal with the less backlash or consequences of uh, certain things. So why wouldn't we bet against future consequences or future implications that impacts our emotional, uh, emotional well-being, mental well-being and physical well-being. But unfortunately, not everyone has a forethought or the foresight that we share through our collective experiences. No, well, yeah, totally well said. And I, yeah, I, I, it feels like I speak about this weekly on the podcast in regards to the lack of like education, even with young children in schools in regards to their emotional beings and their, their uh, spiritual beings and the connection that their mind and body have and how we have a lot of power over our thoughts and how that can mm. have a lot of power over our emotions. And then ultimately to our behaviors that we may choose to exhibit determining based on those thoughts and the, those emotions so it would just it would just make a lot of sense if we were introduced to a little bit more of that that therapy style type of training being able to like talk openly and being vulnerable especially as a male you know being vulnerable and being okay to be open and put yourself out there to you know to kind of like work through like talk therapy whether that's through you know working with a teacher when you're a young kid or with your parents or with your friends or whatever that is like just being able to learn how to talk with like substance and about yourself like i think that's a, that's something that's an ability that people have to like relearn i think we're mm -hmm. i think we're innately born with the ability to be um open and wild and kind of i mean i've got i've got a three-year-old right and he like he spent two hours this morning as a cat like which is amazing it's cool like he's super comfortable in that in that realm in that environment to use his imagination and be creative and do it without the 
about caring about what other people think but when we go into adults right like it, you would seem you'd be crazy if you spent two hours like a, as, as a cat or even two minutes right even though so it's just it's just interesting that we i feel like we lose the ability to be vulnerable and be open as human beings and we have to relearn how to communicate with ourselves like to take care of ourselves and our own mind and our own body and then with other people as well it's just uh i just wonder what we can we can do to help re-educate the world in regards to how how to better communicate with each other and and create connectivity because that's a big thing that a lot of people are just absolutely craving especially at the moment is to be connected with with fellow human beings because we go we get depressed we get anxious we isolate you know like you said you, you ex explained your experience you know i'm sure you were like you know closing the curtains up and the last you didn't want to see, see other people you know like that's where people go and they get like that and i just like to think that in like more ancient cultures we'd be aware of these other people who might be struggling with something and it would be more about connection and comfort and, and nurturing rather than like the isolated based behaviors that we exhibit when we're in those states. Yeah. The, the answer to your question is simple, but it's very hard where simply we need a more systems where that's more value driven than profit driven. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately capitalism by nature is not the ethos that I just described. But I do want to, if I may, I want to introduce some nuances where just because I'm a psychotherapist myself, it's like, oh, everyone should therapy. Yes. And you can do self-help books, read or search some books on your own, talk to your friends, um, just have a intentional, dedicated time to journal. Right? I think in the West, especially in America, people are like, oh, everyone should meditate, mindfulness, uh, eat right and therapy. Or sometimes you can um, sleep eight hours, seven to eight hours to make sure you're hitting the right amount of uh, sleep, right? All these things are very nuanced. So I'm not saying that everyone should go see a therapist. We should remove the word should entirely at the same time. If that's an avenue you feel resonated with, why not? At the same time, if you don't feel as comfortable, there are many rich, wide array of avenues that could derive the same benefits that therapy does in a more, maybe less stigmatized way. So there are a lot of different flavors to seek healing and optimality and growth. Awesome. When you, so when you, you came back from your deployment and you went through this therapy to kind of like get yourself like back on track, what else did you do to support your own health? Because at the end of the day, it's not like you, it's not like you have this traumatic event and then you go through therapy and then that traumatic event is like over and it's done and you're forgetting about it and you just go back to your normal life, right? Like it doesn't, it just doesn't work like that, right? You, you not necessarily have to carry that experience with you, but the experience is there, but you've obviously, you've learned you've, you've you've gone through certain skills and th and you've you've been able to like talk through obviously a lot of it but like what else did you do apart from like the therapy that really kind of helped you work through that like that trauma great question so i want to preface by saying that a lot of people view therapy as the end all be all a lot of people who dislike therapy they're like oh i did the work of one hour by paying a professional licensed clinician there's 168 hours in a week, Simon. Do you think spending an hour of 168 hours can magically heal everything? We spend more time showering. We spend more time on Instagram than therapy. So to answer your questions, it's the integration that's the work. Therapy is part of the work, but the work happens in between the sessions. So that's what I did. I will come home and I'm a very disciplined person and genetic marker shows that everyone has different thresholds of willpower, discipline. There are biomarkers that create a variability in that as well. 
So shout out to my parents. I think I was born with a certain threshold of willpower and discipline or self-discipline. So I'll come home, I'll complete the task by the therapist, and I'll just think about it. I was like, huh, is there any opportunity for self-discovery or uncovery from that sessions? Are there any insights that I agree or disagree with? If I disagree with the therapist, why did I disagree? Why did they say what, what they said? Can I implement anything that I learned into my everyday life? Because stress cannot be compartmentalized. We think we can, but stress is whole because emotion is complex. So we have to apply and bridge what we learn from one thing to the other. Otherwise, we're not trying to become a great client in a therapist, just like the purpose and intention behind meditation is not to become a master meditator. It's so that it improves our everyday life. And I think therapy is just an avenue that I did that through. But a lot of that came from outside of work, like journaling, meditating, thinking about what I learned, and just um, extrapolating into like, how can I apply that to other areas that's not just with my depression? Yeah, and it sounds like those other things that you did, journaling, meditation, is just is a complement to the therapy that you that you're going with. So it's like extra work. Like you you said perfectly about the you know one hour a week that you're you know you go to your therapy session, you kind of clock in, you clock out, and your work's done, and you know everything's going to take care of itself. Obviously, not like it's you know it's the other hours that you're away from your therapist, which is obviously really the the key, and that's that's in any kind of like coaching mentor teacher type of environment you know like you can you can have a one hour gym session with a trainer but like you know that's nothing like we you know the sleeps you sleep's just as important what you do in the kitchen is just as important so it's super valuable to complement when you are working with that health professional but you've got to be like doing the work you know they are the coach they're on the sidelines you're on the pitch playing right so it's vital that we take a lot of responsibility and a lot of um a lot of like self power in regards to how we can propel and um, really advance and complement that therapy with those other things. And I think journaling and meditation you mentioned, and I'm sure like you were able to kind of get back into like working out again and getting into the gym. And we obviously know how positive that is towards our like mental health and the food and nutrition that goes along with that as well. So that's pretty, that's amazing. Did your therapist, or did you take this on your own, like decide to share the fact that you were that you'd gone through something and you're doing something about it with other people? Because I think a lot of people who go through therapy still, even though they have asked for help or they've been like, you know, prescribed that they should go to therapy, want to keep that like under wraps because they believe that that's like a sign of weakness or it's a sign that, you know, things aren't like going well and they wouldn't want other people to think that they might need help. Right. Like that's an insane thought. But like, were you, what was your experience with sharing the fact that you were doing this amazing self work? So I didn't necessarily walk around with a megaphone announcing that I'm seeing a therapist per se, but I did share it with my intimate family members to see what their thoughts were. And I think it's interesting how life works, right? Because in this case, the catalyst is the deployment and the contemplations of mortality. But I think me seeing a therapist was a catalyst for my parents in particular, my mom, to actually see the benefit and the value of mental health. Because remember, my mom didn't believe that for the better 40 years of her life. And she's achieved some incredible feats without it. But she also lost out on a lot of opportunity costs because we don't know what we don't know. Um, but yeah, I did share um, people at the time with my family specifically. I was single at the time. Um, so yeah, but I didn't really announce it to the world, but with the people that I cared about and the people that contributed to my why, of seeing therapy, I do share it with them very uh, honestly. Yeah, super important to obviously work with those people who 
who who you trust and there's people who love you and the people that you know you obviously want to be open and transparent with them right because you've obviously gone through something and you you interact with these people on like a daily basis so it's just only i think it's only fair that you would share that with them and you obviously want the people that love you to to understand and recognize what's going going on for you and in uh, uh, out of interest like what do you think that it changed your mom's perception on mental health because i think you're probably not alone in regards to your parents thinking that like therapy or like acupuncture or like nutrition all these things that are like well like so so founded in research and science and um it's just interesting like a certain generation thinks that's just like you know airy fairy quackery mm-hmm. So like how what's how's that how's that changed how has that changed your mum's uh, opinion on things like that? Yeah, I think regardless of the generations, their circumstances are born, I think we're always a byproduct of our environment. And it's like the idea of environmental feedback. Hmm. Um to retrace my steps, I think because I didn't really share the content of my therapy with them. I just they knew I was seeing a therapist for my depressions that was catalyzed by the depressions, but I think my mom just saw my actions. They saw the mood that was exhibiting, how I was behaving, and the shift of my darkness just spoke for itself. And obviously, uh, actions speak louder than words is the most cliche thing, but I think our cliches are tropes. And there's a lot of truth in cliches that was the test of time. So I think just me being able to attend dinner, not sulking or not being in this cocoon all night every day, and actually coming out of my shell more and more openly, just even having these conversations that seem so minute, but just, you have to understand at the time I was not talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. I was just in my darkness. So I think just seeing me opening up, I think had this glow of itself. And I think my mom just saw that and she's like, wow, whatever my son's doing, so obviously working. And cause you had to, I think she had to recognize that nothing she did helped, nothing. But then something I did helped and wasn't always me and shout out to the therapist who aided in my healing journey. So I think just through that, she's like, Huh. But a lot of different events happened until she truly had to reconcile with her own lack of mental health, which is a different story. With your experience of working with your, yeah, working with your therapist and, and experiencing what you experienced with your family tr- during that like transition from, let's just say darkness towards the light. Um, how would you recommend, cause not a lot, not everybody, I think most people aren't going to go and seek out a therapist and attempt to do something about their their current state i think it's a really brave and courageous thing to do something we're not super wired for and it's also something that like when you're in that like isolated depressive state the last thing you really want to do is to be open be vulnerable and like reach out and 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 ask for help you know it's usually like a late stage kind of thing that, that people would usually do but say for example somebody um within somebody has someone in their family or their, their close friend circle who's clearly exhibiting signs of you know being a, being a certain individual and then like you know becoming a bit more isolated you know you were talking about like you know your body let your body language being a, a big indicator that something subconsciously is not quite right and what would you recommend to you know like a if i've got like a friend or a family member who's like you know who's clearly changed their demeanor um, and who I might who I might suspect might be going through some sort of depression or anxiety or some sort of trauma because we don't want to like we don't want to poke people and be like invasive in regards to the stuff but there is a level of responsibility between people who we care about to check on people's well-being because we we like say oh hi how are you 
kind of like willy-nilly we don't really like it's just a part of like the subconscious conversation to begin an interaction right it doesn't really hold a whole lot of value for for those for most of those times so how do you feel like we can we can um really really check in with people what i often tell people is that i'm not in the business of convincing because convincing does not always work mm -hmm. especially it's about this hypersensitive and vulnerable topics like our emotional domains or some of the big T's or small T's or whatever we're going through. And there is a technique called uh, motivational interviewing or MI in the clinical world. I encourage everyone to look it up. There is a free manual online. The whole ethos and the ideas of MI, motivational interviewing, is highlighting and leaning into the ambivalence. Because a lot of us like pattern recognition, because it's the best way to bet against the unknown air quote. At the same time, pattern recognition is flawed because the past is unnecessary to predict the future, period. So a lot of people, they want to convince them by dropping wisdoms, dropping facts, dropping science and evidence, which works for some, does not work for others. So to them, you have to lean in and ask them to seek out their own evidence in their lives. And if they're in that depressive state, Simon, even if they are not willing to take the initiative yet, not to resist the healing, but they're not ready for the healing yet, like the growth mindset reframe, right? So in that case, you just ask them to think about their life. How has their past six months been feeling? Past three months been feeling? Do you like the way you feel? Do you like your ability to show up for yourself or your family, for your academic schools or your work? Often, if they were in that depressed state, the answer is no. They don't like how they feel. That's why we seek help. But seeking help is difficult because you have to recognize and own up to the fact that you need help. And that's the biggest barrier for men, especially. Right. So to that, you don't convince you ask them to seek out their own evidence in their own life and leading to their tendency for pattern recognition. You see, this is a pattern you've been exhibiting and living through the past six months, a year or whatever. Is this the pattern you want to go down into for the next six months? If not, let's have a conversation. And MI is a very effective technique, even for non-clinical folks. That's fantastic advice. Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. What is your um is your definition of healing changed like pre your your you know that that dark chapter and then and then after it? Yes. So great question. So I think I used to perceive healing as this big fancy thing. Oh, healing modalities, doing all these things, mind, body, spirit, paradigm, all these cool things which have a place. But now I think I view it through more of incremental gains, like Atomic Habits by James Clear, right? 1% better every day, strive for progression, not perfection. So now my healing avenue looks more nuanced than what it did like seven, eight years ago, where I still see a therapist if I feel like I need to as a proactive measures. But often than not, I just focus on the habits day to day. Right? I make sure I work out every single morning, like four, ten, uh, four, four days out of the week. I meditate for 20 to 30 minutes. And when I journal, I don't write journal. I, I do audio journaling since I'm more auditorily um, um, receptive that way. And uh, if I want to, I try to identify, we call it change talk in the clinical world. It's not so much focusing on the problems, but the variables that allow you to show well, the variables that you do that allow you to feel good. You identify what those vari uh, variables are. And for me, it's meditations, it's audio journaling, uh, showering, um, and working out uh, four or five days a week. And I just make sure that's my constant baseline, always, no matter what. And that's when the discipline and habit really is helpful. In addition to that, I have a great social support. 
and I read a lot of books. I'm very well read. I'm a ferocious reader, so I love self-help books. I've been a junkie since I was 13, uh, but I read all about mindset and listen to a lot of the podcasts. And I understand that we're in the era of motivation porn. Everyone that mothers have motivation to share, and we might fall into that category as podcasters. But I really appreciate the essence of the content because I don't view stories just as stories. I view it as a lived experiences that are part of someone's memories. So I said, if I really are attuned to the essence of what they're sharing, I try to extrapolate and distill and synthesize whatever I feel resonated with and apply that to my own life. And there's a whole long list, and this might be a six hour podcast if I have to share that list with you, but it's more a nuanced approach to answer your question. Yeah, I think the I think the very interesting shift to like long form conversation is the type of content that people are really like absorbing and have just been asking for rather than responding to you still with me? Yeah, I think there was like a five second blackout. Oh, okay. No worries. I was gonna make a note of that and I can just edit that up. That's cool. Yeah, I was just say, saying that I think it's very interesting that people are going towards more this long form conversation of podcasts and you know listening to maybe one hour to two three hour like people just having very simple conversations barely scripted and i think the best thing about that for me is just like i can i can really get the authentic part of that individual especially when it's like you know like i really like joe rogan stuff like when he's got these like really cool scientists on um you can't you can't fake and lie for you know for three hours you can try but people are going to sniff you out in absolutely no time so i really love that i can listen and watch the people who like i admire who i'm interested in and i can like really kind of quickly figure out whether they're like that they're, they're, they're talking a load of rubbish which most of the time they're not because they actually agree to go onto this long form discussion where they're unable to do that but yeah we, we don't really get so much value out of like just like clicks and likes and like small comments like being able to draft so much education and wisdom and i think the emotion be powerful and um yeah it's just wonderful that we're able to do this why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast um yeah so the podcast was started as a simple curiosity passion project three years ago now so to all the listeners i didn't pop on the podcast train within the last six months i really believe in the avenue of storytelling and like I said, I think I have a certain level of intellectual hardware, uh, shout out to my parents, and I'm a very uh, curious learner. So I thought I had a lot more offer, like the hierarchy of ignorance. I started the podcast um, three years ago just to capture some of the conversations we're having. Because I think when you're immersive in that space with whoever you're sitting across, and you have the intention of really having this free flow of exchange of ideas, something profound may happen. But how many of us remember those 2 a.m. conversations, whether it's over a glass of wine or sober? So I, me and my co-founder at the time, Aiden, we just said, let's create a public catalog and just capture this. But with the hierarchy of ignorance, we realized we're mid-20s. We don't know anything. What do we know? And we started to shift that more towards interviewing and having experts on. And now it's after three years. Um, fortunately, it's, one, it's a pretty, I have a deep, meaningful, intentional community. Uh, and uh, the ethos currently is, like I guess, is for introspective thinkers with growth mindsets by Carol Dweck uh, and just seeking authentic life stories. Because as you said beautifully, Simon, that uh, stories are content, contents are marketing. But I, don't, I think stories are much more than just content and a marketing tool by these institutions. And it's just my mission to carry the curiosity mindset 
and the power of nuanced perspectives, whether it's emotional health or mental health, and just to apply the NRD to their life. And as a byproduct of these genuine conversations across the world, across the countries, hopefully listeners take away something for that. But that's why it's called Discover More, because discovering more insights, discovering more mindsets, and just discovering more stories as us as collective human beings, it's the common humanity. We're never alone, and we don't walk this path alone. And I think that makes life more bearable because suffering is a part of life. It certainly is. And some of the most challenging traumatic things that happen to us can end up being the, the, the biggest teachers and the things that propel us forward to do quite remarkable things and the self-development piece that can come with any type of trauma, be that like small or significant, you know, it's kind of relative to the individual, but there's so much to be learned from like, you know, tough times without question. Um, how can people find your podcast? How can people connect with you, Benoit? Yeah, you can find, uh, I'm not big on my own personal Instagram just because, um, but if you can find the podcast Instagram at discover more podcast on Instagram, it's got a pretty great engagement and community up there. You can find my episodes on all audio platforms, wherever you get your dosage podcast and the YouTube expansion is happening as we speak. So feel free to check us out. If you're more of a visual watcher, you like to see the actual interactions and not just with the audio aspect. Check us out on Discover More podcast on YouTube. And yeah, that's, I'm not here to promote everything else. But if you are interested in authentic life stories, and I do speak with some of the fascinating folks, and most likely I'm going to have this episode on my show as well to provide value for both of our collective communities. So um, I would love for you to check us out and join us in the train of Discover More. Beautiful. Well, Benoit, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me and great questions, Simon. Uh Just don't forget to check out his podcast. I'm going to listen to a few episodes myself and I might be recommending one specifically for you all. Um, but that is it for this week of True Hope Podcast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. We'll see you next week. <laughs>